Now, you may or may not know that we have about 20 people going through our Destiny Alignment and Activation Program at the moment. It is the month of August. And like I said, about 20, and then there's the core team and stuff on top of that. Um, so I think by the time you add it up, it ends up about 26, um, which is good. It's really good. And the aim of that is to leave people at the end of this program clear they were when they started about how the Father has wired them because our destiny and our wiring go hand in hand. And um, then where do I point that wiring out is the journey that we're on. I really like it. I hope you guys who are on it do too. I think we're in week, we've just finished week two. I think we're about to start week three. Check your email tomorrow morning. It will all be live. The cool thing, we've got this online platform that we release all the content and stuff in and then um, you all get blasted one-on-one -on -one at the end of the program, which will be great. One-on-one, -on -one, it'll probably be three-on-one, but, you know, <laughs> shouldn't have told you that. But anyway, it just sounds safer one-on-one, -on -one, but, you know, three-on-one is good. Um, one of the things that I explained at the beginning of that program to all of the participants is where destiny needs to flow out of is a paradigm of the kingdom. Now, what is a paradigm? It sounds like a big word for this time of the day. A paradigm, it's like a model. It's a framework, if you like. It's a framework of thinking through which you see the world. And sometimes we're not aware of our paradigms until someone either points it out or something happens that challenges it. And it's like, when, if you've ever said to yourself, man, that has changed the whole way I see X, whatever that is, what you've just had is a paradigm change moment. Because what it means is your grid, your filter through which you see that issue or through which you see the world is shifting. Now, if you've grown up in church, which I certainly did, well, I got older in church, whether I grew up is a whole nother matter um, and very, very open for debate. Thank you for agreeing with that, Meg. Appreciate that. Very open for debate. Um, <laughs> it's good, at least the hecklers turned up. It makes life so much more interesting. I really like that. Um, if you've grown up in church, then there's a fair chance that your paradigm of the kingdom is actually more of a paradigm of the church than it is of the kingdom. Because our understanding of the kingdom, at least in the days when I grew up, just didn't exist. No, not well. Anyway, there was, no, there was no real depth to it. And everything of God centred around the church. And if you are not saved, you need to get saved and you need to come to church. And then you need to get involved in ministry in the church. And that is separate from what you do out in the world. And what we try and do is minimise what you do out in the world so that you can spend as much time in church as possible. Now, Getting to spend more time with kingdom-minded people who love to worship, pray, get into the scriptures. I'm not suggesting that's a bad thing for a moment. That's not a bad idea. Okay, just so that we're clear. But here's the thing. We grow to the size of our paradigm. Let me, let me illustrate that this way. There is a fish in, I think it is Japan, and it starts with a K. Koi, it's the koi. Is, it, that's, is that the one I'm looking for? I think that's the one. I just, it was just not there. I was searching my random access memory and it was just blank. 
I get that a lot. Yeah, I'm, I was looking for something way more complex, obviously. And the fish grows to the size of the fish tank you put it in. So you put it in a tank this big and it will grow to a size that is appropriate. That, thank you. I feel I'm going to need a lot of help, so that's good. That is appropriate to that tank. Whereas if you put that very same fish into the ocean, it will become somewhat huge. Well, yeah, if you... <laughs> every analogy falls down somewhere. If you didn't hear that on the podcast, it will die because it's a freshwater fish. Of course, that information would have been useful to me before. But... <laughs> well, that's, that's also true. I didn't ask. Yes. Well, let's put it in a big freshwater lake. And then we will have something to say. And you will see a very, very big fish. So the fish grows to the size of the container you put it in. Now, our paradigm of the kingdom or of the church, and I'm going to juxtapose those for you in just a moment, is we will grow in our destiny and in our expression of the kingdom to the size of our paradigm. Because our paradigm sets up, if you like, the limits or otherwise of our faith. So, if you like, our paradigm around who God is, is is one part of that, but our paradigm of how his kingdom works and operates is, is another part of that. So if you believe that God is angry, cranky, and out to smote thee, then you will relate to him in certain ways, and you will go about ministry in certain ways that, that may get you smoted by the humans, not by the Father, but... Um, and then you'll say you're being persecuted for righteousness sake, but that's a whole other story. Um, don't go there. Did I hear it? Don't go there. Okay, don't go there. Um, whereas if you believe that God is abundantly and absolutely good, that he's never in a bad mood, that he is always kind-hearted and generous and wants to pour that love upon you and on everyone that you meet and come across, then obviously that's going to affect how you operate out in the world. Is that making sense? key is our paradigm dictates how we operate and what we believe for. Yeah? Okay. So I grew up wholeheartedly with a paradigm of the church. And the paradigm of the church had a certain gospel. And it was called the gospel of salvation. Now, is the gospel of salvation true? Heck yeah. And if it's not, we're in deep trouble. (laughs) It's absolutely true. The gospel of salvation sounds something like this. We've all, fall, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We need a saviour. That saviour is Jesus. He died on the cross. He rose again, defeated death, and he has made the way possible for you to come into the kingdom of God, into the kingdom of light, for you to be born again and become an entirely new creation, and you can go to heaven too. Something like that. Is that, that that's roughly the gospel of salvation in a couple of sentences. And the emphasis of the gospel of salvation is essentially getting people saved, getting them in church, and getting them to heaven. That, that, that's the basic gist of it. You know, it's some good discipleship along the way, but, but ultimately the gospel of salvation is, is essentially let's get people to heaven. The kingdom is a little bit bigger than that. And when Jesus came... He bought a whole different view and a whole different paradigm of reality with him. And part of the reason he offended so many people, so many of the religious people, is he kept on poking at their paradigm. 
And it wasn't just the things he said, but the things that he said upset their entire way that they saw the world, the entire way they saw God, the entire way that they related to him. So what is this kingdom paradigm that I'm talking about? Because I believe this kingdom paradigm is essential to the outworking of destiny. Otherwise, we are going to make ourselves too small. We're going to be the koi in the fish tank instead of the koi in the, in the big freshwater lake. Big lake, very big lake. The gospel, sorry, the paradigm of the kingdom has, this is, this is going to sound dangerous, and even as I'm thinking of saying the words, I'm like, whoa, let me just say it and then I'll clean it up. <laughs> has a much broader gospel. Now, <laughs> be careful. When I'm saying broader, I'm probably not saying what some would think I am saying. What am I saying, I hear you ask. The gospel of the kingdom contains the gospel of salvation, but it's much bigger. You see, the aim of the, gospel, of the gospel of salvation is getting people to heaven, whereas the aim of the gospel of the kingdom is getting heaven to earth. Key difference. And therefore, the way that you operate out of that paradigm becomes really, really critical. Now, all of the church is in the kingdom, but not all of the kingdom is in the church. Okay, so all the church is in the kingdom, but not all of the kingdom is in the church. Yet, when our paradigm relates purely to church and gospel of salvation, we will limit ourselves to basically one-seventh of the operation of the kingdom of God. And for some, it's probably, you know, maybe 5% of the population that have their calling entirely inside the church. And therefore, if... You're part of the 95% that are actually called to the world, but you have a church gospel of salvation paradigm. It's really going to limit what you feel you're able to do for the kingdom, other than to give good money to the church, maybe serve on a Sunday and be a good person and maybe be able to slip Jesus and the cross into, a, into some conversations in your workplace. But I want to suggest that the gospel of the kingdom opens stuff up a whole lot more. Let's go to Matthew chapter 3 and 4 for a moment. And... Those of you who love Scripture are now going to get really excited because I'm opening the Scriptures. Then when you see how much of it I'm going to read, you're going to be wholeheartedly disappointed. I'm s- but you'll get the idea. I will go through a few verses over the next couple of minutes. What I want to ask, the question I want to ask here is, what gospel did Jesus preach? What gospel did John the Baptist preach? What and I might talk about this a little bit more next week, but what was preached in the book of Acts? Um, and exactly what is the gospel? Particularly the gospel of the kingdom. So, Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. This is when Jesus is beginning to preach. So this is just after his, he's been tempted in the wilderness. He opened up a can of kickbutt on the devil came out in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then verse 17 of Matthew chapter 4, from that time onwards, Jesus began to preach. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So repent, which means, we, we think it's like suck carpet. I mean, at least where I came from, it meant, you know, like get down, suck some carpet. Um, and then when you're done, suck a little bit more because you're a sinner and you need to suck carpet. You need to repent. Now, 
if you've never done that, it's probably not a bad thing to do at some point because sometimes repentance is this real deep cleansing out. But what the word repent literally means is to come to a higher perspective on reality. So the word, um, the word repent in Greek is the word metanoia. Now, have we got any like database programmers in the room? Any IT nerds? I'm drawing a blank. Absolutely nothing. Okay. So did any of you hear um, when um, in the news talk about internet privacy and that whole thing, and they talk about metadata? Okay. I've got at least half a reaction there. So metadata, it's like the data that sits above and around. It's not the content, but it's the data or the structure that sits over the top. Okay, so when you're talking metadata in a database, it's essentially the structure of the database. It's not the data itself. So when they say, well, it only contains the structure. It doesn't actually contain all the info about your eye colour, your hair colour, and all the medications you're on and all of those sorts of things. It's the stuff that sits above. So if you like, meta means higher. It's the higher structure that sits above. Noia is simply thinking. Okay, noia, thinking. Meta, noia, higher thinking. If you like, re means to go back to pent is like penthouse, which is the top floor of a building. So to repent is to come up to God's perspective on reality. Now, when you get there, sometimes you go, what the heck was I doing hanging around with that stuff? Yes, that is repentance. Repentance often isn't the moment of, um, of regret. We often kind of equate it with regret. Repentance is the moment when we actually get God's perspective on what was going on. So a lot of people are regretful and sorrowful but haven't actually repented because they haven't seen his perspective on that. And sometimes his perspective is actually, hey, you're way too awesome to be hanging around with that stuff. That is a moment of repentance. It's a bit different to sucking carpet, although it may involve that, but you get the idea. So again, what I want to do is take the religious notion out of the word repent, because every time we hear that word, it just has all sorts of stuff attached to it. So it means come up to God's perspective. So in other words, Jesus comes and he says, come up here and check it out from up here, because God is closer to you than you think, is essentially what he preached. In other words, it's a heaven-to-earth paradigm. In other words, heaven is closer to you right now than has ever been before. So change your perspective on reality because a whole lot more is possible right about now. Does that make sense? That's kind of good news, just in case you didn't catch that, which clearly you didn't by the noise of your reaction. Either that or it's going so deep that it's very, very deep. Now, let's go back into chapter 3. And let's see what John the Baptist preached. And we have uh, chapter 3 and verse 2. And again, really long verse. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Oh, that sounds a little familiar. (laughs) Same message. Different message to the law and the prophets. More on that most likely next week. So what they preached was a gospel about the kingdom, not just a gospel about salvation. Does that make sense? Okay, Luke chapter 9. That's, yeah, that is this way. Turn right from Matthew. Luke chapter 9. And of course I went right on past it. Luke 
Now, this is when Jesus sends out the 12. And there is so much in Luke 9 and 10 that I absolutely love and I have no time to get anywhere near it other than to get this bit. So Jesus sends out the 12. So verse 1 of Luke chapter 9, when he called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons to cure diseases. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. You see it there again. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt, whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town unless it doesn't have air conditioning and foxtel. Oh, sorry, I just added that. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as testimony against them. So they went out from village to village proclaiming the good news, or depending on which version of the Bible you have, it says proclaiming the gospel wherever they went. Now, here's the question that perplexes me. When I, because I came from a gospel of salvation church paradigm, when I hear preaching the gospel, I hear Jesus loves you, he died for your sin, repent, you can be born again kind of stuff. Here's the problem there though. Jesus hadn't died yet. So which gospel were they preaching? They couldn't preach a gospel of Jesus loves you and died for your sin because he hadn't done that yet. Now I know the word gospel literally means good news. So they weren't sharing the good news, but it's the same word as our word gospel. And it wasn't a gospel of Jesus loves you and died for your sin. What was it? And if we go back up, Again, proclaiming the kingdom of God and healing the sick. What we have done so much is proclaim the salvation of God. Now, is it a true message? Heck yes. Is it a good message? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Is it a true message? Yes. Is it the full message? No. In other words, Jesus didn't just come so you could get to heaven and the people around us could get to heaven. He came so that heaven could be released on earth and here could become like there. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There is where Jesus prayed it. That is essentially, if you want to know the will of God, there it is right there on earth as it is in heaven. And I know, you know for the vast majority of us in the room, this is not an unfamiliar message. Now, let me quickly jump to Acts chapter 1. And the first few verses of Acts chapter 1. Now, this is Jesus has risen from the dead. He's on the earth between his resurrection and his ascension. And he has some time with his core peeps. Now, if I was Jesus, and we can thank him that I'm not, if I was Jesus... At that time, there'd be some, some core content I'd be wanting to get across. There's a bit of a curriculum I'd have in place, possibly even with an online platform again, you know, just to make sure that they really got this stuff where I can track their progress because you know, I'm going to be hiking out of here in not too far from now and I'm going to be leaving the foundation of the church for the, re- the future of the entire creation in these 12 people's hands. This is what he's about to do. So this is no small period of time. You get any idea? Like that, that is new. So I would have a curriculum around leadership. I'd be wanting to talk church governance structures, how to set up church so that, you know, to make sure that people can grow and thrive and it doesn't become this controlling, boring thing. You know, how to do that, you know, how to deal with conflict and, you know, because churches so blow up, not often over theological things, but just over 
people that just can't get along. And there's all of these things I'd be wanting to cover. Did Jesus cover any of these? Well, we don't know because we don't know everything. But here's what Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, told us about what Jesus talked about. So obviously this is what was really important. Verse 2, so until the day he was taken up into heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself to them, gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about, surprise, surprise, the kingdom of God. So it seems that the kingdom was so much more on the minds of Jesus than it has been on the minds of us. Perhaps that's becoming less and less true nowadays, which is kind of exciting. See, what we've done typically is we've had a paradigm of church and we've kind of gone, God, would your kingdom invade church? But what would it look like to start with a paradigm of the kingdom, which is what Jesus talked about more, and to go, what does church look like coming out of that? To me, that's a much more powerful pursuit. That's the journey that I'm really interested in. Is not how do we get more of the kingdom in the church, but how do we do the kingdom and what does church look like in, as a result of that? Now, why is this important? On so many levels, this is so important for your destiny because, again, I don't want you fish tanked. I don't want you thinking too small about who you are and about what God's purposes and plans are for you and around you on this earth. Because they're way bigger than you think. And you're way more awesome than you think. So you need to change the way you think, which is actually repent. But that's another message. Matthew 24, 14. Jesus talking about the end times. He said, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached and then to all nations as a witness and then the end will come. So even Jesus is saying the gospel that will be preached to all nations is not the gospel of salvation, it's the gospel of the kingdom. Now remember, the gospel of the kingdom contains the gospel of salvation, but the gospel of the kingdom is much broader. And it gets followed with signs and wonders. In other words, when the word goes out, he brings his reality with him and releases it here, and here becomes like there. That's the idea. Now, what are the implications of this? Because there is so much more to say about that, and you cannot bear it right now because there's food coming. Um, one of the things that this understanding does, see, is understanding that our job is to get the kingdom that is upon and within us on everyone around us. But that is going to come through the way that you are wired as a person. So the way it looks for you and what you release and what someone else releases is going to be different because you're as unique as your thumbprint. There are no two the same. And every one of us, many of you heard me talk about this before, every one of us carries a unique aspect of the glory of God that no one else on the earth carries it. And if you hide it under a bushel, the world misses out on that revelation. So in that context, understanding that we're called to live out of the paradigm and a gospel of the kingdom actually starts to free us from the religious need to fit Jesus' sin and the cross into every conversation we have with those who we are targeting. Now, am I suggesting to avoid it? No, not at all. Um, most of you who would know me know that that's kind of not my style. I don't like to avoid that stuff. In fact, it's fun. But 
What we want to see is you free to release what you carry to be who you are in whatever environment that you find yourself in to release his kingdom the way that he has wired you instead of locking you into this little box that says unless you've said the word Jesus, cross and sin, you haven't actually been an effective witness. Now, I don't know if you grow up with anything like that. I grew up with aspects of it. Um, I got trained in aspects of that when I went through college. But it also not only releases you to be you, but it also releases you to operate in a spirit of unconditional love rather than operate in an agenda. And even if the agenda is to get someone to heaven, which would go as a good agenda, the moment anyone out there smells an agenda, they like to run. I mean, anytime you have a salesman knocking on your door, hey, you know, <laughs> I mean, that's me. Some people love to invite them in and, <laughs> and share the gospel of salvation with them. So, if you remember back a few weeks, which may be a big ask, but remember back a few weeks, one of the things I talked about was where Ephesians talks about the manifold wisdom of God, which, which when we break it down is creative solutions to the problems of the world. So in terms of you releasing the gospel of the kingdom through you, like we said, it's going to happen through the way that you're wired by the Father. And it's going to involve you being more authentically you than you ever thought you were able to be. Because that's, that, that, that's how the glory is released. It's by you being you, because you being you is actually reflecting him. So where do answers flow easily to you? Where, where do solutions flow easily to you? Where do you have insight into things? When someone says X, Y, or Z, and you go, oh, I know what we can do with that. Or I understand that, or I get that. Now, it may, may not be answers. See, for some people, they, it's a revelationary thing. In other words, I, I, ha, I have insight into structures and problems and, and things. And that, that's kind of where I flow. Like, when, when I see someone says a problem, I can start to see a blueprint of the structures of the problem and how to dismantle it. That's what I find really fun. But that, that's me. For some, it's power. For some, it's, man, I'm going to pray for that thing and we're going to see that change and that's what happens. And it's not a forced thing. It's the most natural thing in the world. For some, it's compassion. It's love. It's I just find it so easily to love people in this particular area, in this particular realm, in this particular age group. And when anyone in the age group comes around me, they feel loved in a way that no one else can. So it usually comes down to your revelation, power and love, which were the three kind of foundations of Jesus' ministry. But what is it for you? What flows easily for you? Now, if you think for a moment, because wisdom and power are kind of, they, they require the supernatural, it'd be easy to go, well, let's choose love because that doesn't put as much of a requirement on me for the supernatural. Yet, um, every time Jesus was moved with compassion in the Gospels, a supernatural act followed. So let's not kind of divorce compassion, love and the supernatural because the two are actually intricately linked. And we are so much more able to demonstrate the love of God when it comes with power and revelation following. So my friend who I was in hospital with a few weeks ago, when he heard the revelation that came from a whole lot of you, 
that he didn't even know was coming. And I sat down with him and read through him. He's like, how do these people know this about me? Oh, my goodness. And he felt known. He felt loved. And when he gets out of rehab, not for anything bad, for his back operation, um, he really wants to come along because of the impact that the way you guys had on him. Now, so understanding what flows easily through you is a key part of your destiny. What comes easily to you? What solutions? What, what are things that you find easy that other people find annoying, painful, hard, or just difficult to understand? They are a real key. And then what we need is a strategy of influence around that. Because unless we're influential, we don't have an impact. Now, here's the thing. Influence begins. Influence is kind of three steps down the road. Influence begins with this little thing called rapport. Now, you know you have rapport with someone because you feel a sense of warmth. When you feel cold in someone's presence, that is kind of the opposite of rapport. It's the, the easiest way to describe it. And one of the key ways to build rapport with people is to take an interest in what matters to them. I mean, there are really simple things, things like eye contact, you know, talking more, you know, letting them talk more than you talk, which is a challenge for some of us. <laughs> I'm not saying anything right now because I'm trying to talk less. That's not true. Um, <laughs> So it begins with this thing called rapport. Now, when someone comes rocking in the door with a message saying, you're a scumbag, you need to repent, you know, you're getting the whole thing wrong, does that tend to build rapport or break it? At least in our culture, it tends to break it. Okay? So one of the... One of the actually, there's probably three classic ways that I can think of off the top of my head that Christians tend to break rapport. One's by getting preachy because we're perceived as arrogant and not able to live up to the, the things that we preach ourselves. When we're judgmental, which isn't the same thing, or when we have an agenda to convert. They're kind of the key ways that, that we as Christians, with the best of intention, break rapport. But yet we are always at our strongest when we serve people. When we come in with an agenda to love you unconditionally, and, and with the sense of, by the time we are finished being together, whether that be for a few minutes or whether that be a few hours or whatever, you are going to feel loved and understood. Because it's actually one of the most basic human needs. And when you understand the ministry of Jesus and look at the way that he operated, he was so powerful at meeting someone where they were at, creating this safe environment where they kind of unraveled, and then the message would come. The only people he was super confrontational with were the religious ones. You know, like your brood of vipers. Um, that's fairly confrontational. So one example of this I can remember was um, I was sitting, having lunch with a friend down in Parramatta and um, having lunch and there was a couple kind of sitting just over here to me and I kept kind of turning around and glancing and they just kind of caught my eye. And the more that I just looked over, I felt God drop a word in my spirit for them that was, start, that was getting clearer and clearer all the time. I'm like, okay, got to deliver this word. Coming up and saying, hey, I have a word from the Lord for you can work for some. And if it's, the funny thing is, if it's actually authentic to who you are, then it works. The key is authenticity. For me, I'm, I'm, I'm a build rapport guy. So I'm like, how am I going to build, God, how am I going to build rapport? And I'm like, I got it. 
I'm going to pay for their lunch. So I um, just said to my friend, just give me a minute, I'll be right back. Went off, went up to the cashier and said, hey, by any chance have these guys that, at that table, have they paid for their lunch yet? I said, no, no, not yet. I said, good. How much is it? Here's my credit card. I was hoping like hell they hadn't like, had the most expensive things on the menu because that would have been interesting. But I thought, no, got to trust. And yeah, it was, it was reasonable, so it was all fine. So, um, and they're like, well, why are you doing this? I'm like, look, it's probably going to sound a little weird, but sometimes from time to time, God gives me stuff for people and I, I just find, and I want to be generous around that. And so I just, I, I'm, it's, call it a random act of kindness or something. I don't know. It's just what it is. And they're like, oh, that is so, oh, well, anyway. So anyway, paid for their lunch. Went and sat down, completely ignored them, and just kept on chatting. And I just said, oh, by the way, somewhere in the next 10 to 15 minutes, we're probably going to be interrupted. Don't worry. <laughs> anyway, kept eating. Sure enough, about 10 minutes later, because I, I saw them get up and walk, I thought, okay, here we go. And they, they go to pay the bill, and they went, oh, that gentleman over there has you know, covered your bill. And so they came around, oh, thank you so much. Why did you do that? <laughs> See, the act of generosity of... and what I would call um, unconditional love kind of by surprise. Because it, it's right, random moments of unconditional love actually create an instant rapport when I've never seen these people before in my life. And so I said, well, why on earth did you do that? I said, okay, this is possibly going to sound a little weird, but from time to time, um, God talks to me and I felt like he gave you something and I felt like he really wanted to bless you today. You, you were all interested in what he said. And this is <laughs> not preaching. And they said, yeah. And so I gave them the word and it was a word about, yeah, I just see you're in a, in a transition season right now, but there, there are foundations in your life way back in your childhood um, that are strong and that are deep and they're, they're the foundations that are going to get you through this season. And the guy in particular just kind of looked at me and went... And I said, does that mean anything? He's like, oh my gosh, yes, that is so right. And so, oh my goodness, I, th this is such a good day. Like, and then off he went. Now, I'd love to say right then he you know, bowed down, gave his life to Jesus. and the, That wasn't the point at that point in time. Because see, the Holy Spirit is the best evangelist. If he put them in, our path, in my path that day, he's able to keep doing that. And so I have to trust that and let go of this religious need to control the situation and come back with a story of salvation which would be cool, but, you know, you get the idea. See, but doing that was something that's really genuine and authentic for me and may be different for you. The key is finding the strategies that allow you to unconditionally love people and not have to wait until you have 10 months of relationship before you can say anything. But what are the things that you bring? What are the ways that you bless people? What are the things that, that, that are authentic to who you are that help create instant rapport that open doors? You know, prophetic bouquets of flowers. When, when, how did you know that I love that? You know, that opens doors. Are we making some sense here? So I, I kind of have two outcomes that I'm after here. One is to make sure that our paradigm is big enough for you to grow into because the last thing I want is to be said of you, the place where you are is too small. And it's our thinking that creates that. So if you, I want to smash that fish tank and let us loop it loose into a massive freshwater lake. <laughs> That's one part. And know that your destiny and your paradigm of the kingdom you know, flow together. So it's important. But as we go out and touch the world, which is something that we're all destined to do, if we are 
stuck in a gospel of salvation mindset, we're actually going to, um, we're probably going to break more rapport than we build. And then we're going to say we're persecuted for righteousness sake. I went there again, didn't I? And I said, no, 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 we're not being persecuted for righteousness sake. We're just using dumb strategies. Now, let me land with this. One of the things that Jesus was the master at was taking what's in someone's hand and doing something remarkable with it. And I feel like where, where I'm meant to land this is to just simply ask you, what's in your hand? Little boy brings his lunch. Jesus feeds 5,000 people with it. Lord says to Moses, what is that in your hand? Well, it's a stick. And this thing became the thing through which the vehicle of the supernatural operated through Moses. And I feel like he's saying to us, what is in your hand? And you know, for those of you who are doing the Destiny program, the strengths that you bring, which you've, seen, you've started to see on your profiles, what are, what are some of the strengths that you bring? What are the areas where you have insight? What are the areas where you flow easily in revelation, power, and or love? They're the things that are in your hand. And what he's asking us is to simply give those things to him Surrender those things to him and for us to say, do what you do with this through me. Let's stand. See, about 95% of us are called to things outside of the church walls as a primary thing. And for too long that's been considered invalid, that the only valid ministry is in the church. I want to smash that as well. Now Jesus said, I'll build my church. It's one of the two times the word church is actually mentioned in the Gospels. Whereas kingdom is mentioned 119 times in 114 verses. Give you an idea of just the mix. So what we need to learn if we're going to fulfill our destiny and not see our calling relegated to our spare time is what's in our hand and what is the sphere that you have called me to? The clearer we are around that, the more potent our kingdom ministry will be. So Jesus, I want to ask that you would increase our clarity that you would increase our understanding and our insight into who you have made us to be. Whether we're doing this program or not, just increase our understanding of who you have wired us to be and of the things that you have put in your hand. For some of you, there, there are some really basic skills that you think, oh, they're not much, but Jesus is going, put them in my hand and watch what I do. There are things that flow easily to you that you may think, but how can God use that? And I just hear him with a wry grin going, watch me. See, he is so creative. Like we don't have a grid for how creative he is. <laughs> and even the simplest thing that we think is good for nothing or irrelevant in his hand becomes something remarkable. So increase our insight, Father, as to what's in our hand. Mess with our paradigm if you need to. <laughs> because we don't want to box you in by the way that we think.
and for all of us individually and as a whole body, would you enlarge and increase us? Expand our territory, Father. Because we want to join with you in seeing the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ. We want to see the glory of the Lord cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. And I want to be bold enough to say, I want to see that in my lifetime. I want to see that on my watch. Just increase your power and your presence on every single one of us and increase our clarity in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.